Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me. And unfortunately, we're not going to have a Coach's Corner this evening. Uh, we decided to uh, give them a break this week. And uh, tonight, we're just going to have uh, a couple of great uh, gentlemen. One, of course, uh, has been a, a regular on the Coach's Corner panel and uh, a very special guest uh, along with them. So I'll introduce the, the two of them in just a minute. Um, but uh, just a couple of uh, quick announcements. Uh, again, we're not going to have Coach's Corner uh, this week. And uh, next week, which is, of course, uh, October 31st, Halloween. I will not be doing a show. I'm going to be actually out of town uh, for that date. So I decided not to uh, to do a show then either, but I'll be uh, ready to go back here on the 7th of November uh, with the Coach's Corner uh, panel that evening and uh, some great guests. So uh, again, uh, no Coach's Corner panel tonight and uh, no show next week, October 31st. Um, also, I want to take an opportunity uh, to really thank uh, the sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel, the SeasonGolfSwing.com. Uh, they've been a really great sponsor, and they're going to uh, sponsor again uh, here to the end of the season, and we'll see about next year. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about them and a great way that you can save uh, on their website. Uh, they're at GolfSwing.com with their cutting-edge technology have teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Together, they have created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf, so if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then you want to join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. And if you enter in promo code GOLFTALKLIVE at checkout, you can receive up to 50% off the subscription price. So join today, watch, practice, and improve your game. And at the end of the show, uh, after uh, I've spoken with my uh, guests this evening, uh, I will play a short uh, video or audio clip, excuse me, uh, telling you a little bit more about GolfSwing.com. So I hope you'll... Uh, stay in uh, at the end of the show to hear that uh, but also again after the end of the show go to golfswing.com enter promo code golf talk live at checkout and get 50 percent off the subscription price all right uh, as i mentioned i got two great guests uh, one has been uh, pretty regular on the last several years uh, on the coach's corner panel he's also been a featured guest many times of course i'm talking about my good friend john hughes uh, pj master professional and the president of the north florida pj section as well as the 2013 PJ of America Horton Smith Award recipient. And he's also a top 25 instructor uh, with Golf Tips Magazine. And he's brought along a great friend of his, uh, Jason Gabriel, uh, who is originally from Aiken, South Carolina, but now currently resides in Hickory, North Carolina. Uh, he's uh, 43 and graduated uh, from high school back in 94. And he was also uh, the 1998 South Carolina Amateur Champion, uh, he turned pro actually in 2003 and played on the Tight Lies Tour and uh, Carolina Mountain Tours for a while. I've talked about five years. Uh, but he's regained his amateur status back in 2017. He joins uh, me along with John uh, here on Golf Talk Live. So, gentlemen, welcome to uh, the program. Thank you, Ted. Happy New Year. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. Um, 
I think what we'll do first before we get into some of the questions tonight is I think the first obvious one, and John, I'm going to let you start off, and then and then Jason, if you want to add some uh, thoughts to it as well, um, maybe you can talk about a little bit how your relationship started uh, and what that relationship really is, uh, and how long you've you've known one another. Uh, thanks again, Ted, for having me on. Always a pleasure. And tonight, I, I look at this as a really special time with a with a really special friend that we go back uh, about 20, 21 years. I met Jason at Hands Lake Country Club, Golf and Country Club in Aiken, South Carolina, where he would sort of hang out, play some golf. He had already won the amateur match play in the Carolinas about three or four months prior to my arrival. And we just sort of hit it off. He was always inquisitive. I think initially he was probably trying to play stump, stump John kind of thing. What does he know? But we'd go out and we'd play every so often, nine holes here, nine holes there. And we struck up a really good relationship. And the next thing I know, I'm his coach. And I had a wonderful time coaching him through his professional career. Um, Wherever I went, he would visit me. Eventually, I had to leave Hounds Lake to advance my career. And no matter where I went, Jason was following me, which was really cool to know that someone thought that highly of me that whether I was two miles away or 200 miles away, they were willing to come visit me. And that stayed intact until Jason decided, you know what, golf's not going to take me where I wanted to go. And we sort of lost uh, track of each other a little bit, not a lot. We would text each other, email each other from time to time. And this past spring, I got a call, uh, a lengthy but really good call from him saying, hey, got my amateur status back. I want to go compete again. Um, I've been toying with my swing. I've taken a couple lessons here or there. His wife, Suzanne, who actually worked for me at Hounslake, said, well, look, John's doing this. You've always said he always knew your swing and could get you playing well. Why don't you call him? And from there, we've rekindled the coaching relationship. But I would tell you, this is a person that I've always considered a friend and somebody always is very genuine to the efforts that he puts in, uh, which is really important from my end, not only personally, but from a coaching end. It's always great to work with someone who's willing to put the hard work in, willing to make the sacrifices, and sees things for what they are. And that, that's always been Jason's MO, is he sees exactly what's on the table. And that, that makes him uh, that much better a competitor when in the competitive mode. Well said. And Jason, just to, to sort of, you know, firm up a little bit about what, what John was saying, you know, obviously, you know, at that time, you know, we're going to, sort of fast backtrack, if you will, a little bit, a uh, number of years. But, um, you know, you obviously had a desire uh, to become much better uh, of a player, uh, even though at that time you were, you were an amateur golfer. What were some of your thought process uh, and, and why, what sort of drew you to John? Uh, well, there was an immediate liking to John. Um, even from the start, he was like that old pair of shoes you always go back to. <laughs> Something was just comfortable, and John was very inquisitive when we would go out and play our rounds. Uh, he was always interested in, in what, what are you thinking? What's going through your head? What's your mindset? How are you figuring this out? 
So he always wanted to know more. Um, I, I suppose from a a player, a, a better player in the game, curious about what they were thinking, maybe how that got them there. But as he begot, as, as he got to know me and and know my game, uh, when I decided to further my career, that there wasn't really any other place that I wanted to go because he knew me from a mm, we'll we'll call it my formative years. Mm-hmm. So he he knew my mindset pretty well, knew my game pretty well, and there was really no no one else I wanted to turn to. Right, and well, that even came up again um, later in years. Right, and I think it's important, you know, Jason, for a player. Um, you know, you both really sort of hit it on the head, and that is, you know, there has to be a comfort level. I mean, there's a lot of great instructors and a lot of great teachers out there, but there has to be that sort of rapport. And I think it's important for anybody um, that's looking to connect with uh, a teacher or coach that there has to be, um, you know, sort of a a mutual, uh, I won't even go further than respect, but there has to be sort of a a mutual connection um, because this is somebody, you know, obviously you were uh, at that time, you know, had aspirations of, of becoming a better player and you're sort of putting that part of you uh, in somebody else's hand to help guide and navigate you through those sort of uncharted waters at times. So you have to have somebody that you feel very comfortable of, uh, with, and also you have to have somebody that is, um, you know, not just there talking about, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that, but actually asking you questions and engaging to get your mindset. Um, because I think that's important for uh, a coach to understand the mindset of the player that they're working for, uh, with. And obviously that was something that uh, you guys seem to have a good rapport with. So I, I want to ask, and, and what I'm going to do with the questions that, that I'm going to put forth here tonight is I want to look at it, one, from the player's perspective, and then I also want to look at it from the coach's perspective. So, um, Jason, I'm going to start with you on this one. And I want you to talk a little bit about what it took for you to play, uh, obviously, great amateur golf uh, back then when you were younger versus now. Oh, wow. Um, Back in my early years, I believe it was easier um, because life hasn't hit me yet. Uh, There's no mortgage to pay. There's no career to worry about. We'll go do a little bit of work, and we'll go play golf in the afternoons. Uh, It wasn't a problem focusing out on the golf course. But as, as time goes on and you get married, you have a family, you're working on a career. Uh, as I'm out there on the golf course, there's lots of things that are bouncing around in my head during the course of 18 holes. E- even competitively, my mind is still drifting in and out, and that's actually one of the things I struggle with now is sometimes maintaining focus. Uh, so yeah, for and, for and, me, that's probably you know a big what? hitter. Yeah, I, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. And, and John, you know, what's interesting is, as you know, um, I've spoken to a number of the young ladies off of the Symmetra Tour. I do that on Tuesday mornings on the Women of Golf show with my good friend and co-host, um, uh, Cindy Miller, who's an LBJ professional. And what's interesting is, obviously, in, in most cases, not all of them, but most cases, these young girls are, are not married. They really don't have any outside 
influences. Um, they're many cases fresh out of college. So as Jason pointed out, you know, they're, they're pretty open-minded. They can really focus 100% in their golf game with very little outside distractions. So from a coach's standpoint, when you're working with a player that isn't um, in, in Jason's category right now, let's go again, go back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, he's ready to, to sort of, you know, get more aggressive in his play. He doesn't have those outside influences. Is that easier for you as a coach to work with a player like that? And when it gets to a point where there do become outside distractions, I want you to also talk about how you handle um, under those circumstances, what you do to keep them on focus and on point. So I, I would right off the bat say there's always distractions uh, of some type. And you, as a coach, you always have to know or at least have a handle of what those are. In Jason's case and the Symmetra Tour cases that you uh, uh, described, the, the distractions of a young single golfer are more along the lines of keeping them focused enough on their dream. I guess is the best way to say it and have them understand that nothing good comes overnight. Uh, the magic dust is in their pocket. They've got to reach in every day and not allow other things to get distracted uh, or have them distracted uh, as they develop relationships with a significant other, with other people they put on their team, whether it's a nutritionist or a, a sports psychologist, when there are more minds and more opinions, that in itself is a distraction. In Jason's case, it was pretty much just him. Uh, he and Suzanne go all the way back to them, but she's, she was extremely supportive of what he did and knew that that was part of the cyber. So it was never a distraction. It was actually a support mechanism. And I think privately he relied on her uh, very much at the time, and then relied on me not necessarily to keep the social distractions away so much as to say, John, how do I keep focused on this? What What is it that I have to do to reach this? Because there were a lot of times when he or anybody else would get frustrated and they sort of look at their coach and it's like, when's this going to happen? Uh, I'm going through that right now with a pretty decent amateur here locally that has the skill and talent, but just works too fast. And as he's working too fast, and I'm trying to get him to slow it down a little bit so he can understand what's going on, he keeps looking at me and says, when is this going to happen? How many reps do I have to do? And I think that's sort of the biggest distraction of somebody who's got some very high lofty goals to have them understand that it's a step-by-step -step process to get there. Uh, that in itself is probably the biggest distraction, whether you're Symmetra, you're trying to play Corn Ferry to get to the PGA Tour, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's getting some kind of break to have you understand this is what it takes. And a small break could be a very simple shot uh, feeling to – getting an exemption into a tournament to uh, all of a sudden deciding I'm going to work eight hours instead of four hours kind of thing. And mm -hmm. it's different for everybody. 
Yeah, and well said. And, and you know, really, what's interesting about you know the, the discussion tonight and and why I really you know sort of jumped at this opportunity to have uh, you come on, Jason, uh, with with John and I. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. Quite often on the show, of course, when we're you know talking on Coach's Corner and and some of the other discussions, you know, we get a lot of times from the coach's perspective or from the teaching professional's perspective. And it's interesting to have from a player's perspective, what they're looking for, um, you know, what their expectations are, um, you know, when dealing with, with their coach or, or what have you. And, uh, you know, this is something that uh, I think that the uh, listeners uh, would, would benefit from, even if they're not necessarily, if their goals aren't as lofty as, as what yours have been, um, it gives them an idea of really what to expect and, and the type of relationship they really need to have. And I want to go back to you, Jason, just sort of on this question for a little bit. Um, and I want to sort of alter it a little bit. Do you think uh, or do you feel that how you practiced back then as opposed to how you're practicing now, what were some of the things that you've learned or improved on, not necessarily on the actual game itself or uh, your ball striking abilities, but your actual uh, mindset of, of practice and preparation, how does it differ now than what it was, say, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Well, I have to improve on my quality of practice now, uh, simply because I don't get as much of it now as, as I did 20 years ago when I was single and such. So when I'm out practicing, I don't get so wrapped up in results. Um, if, if I'm trying to, if I'm working on a new movement, uh, I, I just, I'll try to make sure that I'm performing this movement regardless of what the results may be, because I'm making the assumption that as, as, as I get this more in tune with myself, the results will come. And I'm also looking at, at what my deficiencies are. I'm spending more time on my deficiencies. Instead of, okay, I, I hit a great tee ball. Why do I need to spend time practicing hitting my tee shot? Not really. So mm-hmm. I, I go to where I have trouble, and that's that's where I focus. And, and through the practice, I may hit on a few things that I, I do pretty well just to brush up on them, for, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term there. But I, I'm focusing on my deficiencies primarily. So would it would it be fair to say then that you practice more with purpose today than maybe what you did at that point um, in your in your career? That today, understanding that you know sometimes the results are not going to be immediate, but I know that if I focus on the things that I need to or I know that are going to be important uh, for long term results, um, as long as I have that purpose in mind that I'm going to, you know, at some point I'm going to yield the results as opposed to just going out there. And, and as we see so many times with a lot of our, uh, you know, weekend golfers and that just sort of raking and hitting balls without really any sort of uh, focus or purpose. Um, would that be very, fairly accurate then is that your, your practice has become more purposeful? Absolutely. Um, going out there and just beating a hundred balls w- with no purpose does to me, little to no good. I would rather hit 30 balls and concentrate on every single swing. Even if they're all bad, the end result is is going to be better for me. 
And even when I spend time with John, he'll even pull me aside when I'm going through a little bit of frustration and say, Jason, you just hit 10 balls in two minutes. What are you doing? Slow it down. Yeah, yeah, and and that's something that we see, you know, John, you and I see this all the time out in the practice tee with with a lot of our, our students and that is, you know, they don't really have any sort of organizational skills when they're at the golf course. They just sort of, okay, well, I, I know I've got to do this and I've got to do that, and they just sort of, you know, go into almost like a trance uh, and not really have any sort of genuine focus. So, you know, you've obviously watched Jason for a number of years, both then and now, um, what are some of the noticeable difference that you see um, in Jason now as opposed to things that you noticed, you know, uh, again, back then? A lot of it stems from what he originally said. There's no mortgage, there's no family, there's no career. So with that and the maturation process in the past 20-plus years, he is a much more efficient golfer. Uh, he just hit hit it right on the head. I, I, everything I do has a purpose. I'd rather hit 30 than 100 kind of thing. Uh, it's It was really refreshing to see the maturation process to someone who I've not seen hit a ball in quite a while. But more importantly, what his train of thought was on the golf course had matured. Uh, he he was never a risk taker per se, but when the risk reward was there and he could play conservatively aggressive, which is a term I've always used, it means making a conservative decision to be able to play the shot aggressively and not hold back. He was definitely in that kind of structure as far as a strategy goes. From a practice standpoint of view, I think everybody remains in a trance is the word you used, Ted. I I think you, you sort of get drifting out of where your purpose is. And what a great coach will do is just remind you of what that purpose is. There's lots of different ways of doing it. In Jason's case, I really never have to worry about him hitting too many balls in two, in two minutes or less unless we're actually trying to do that, to jump up the pressure, to make him more mentally focused, more mentally tough. But when he gets into something that is not of his maturity level now, it's not so much reminding him of what he's doing as immature so much as to remind him of what his purpose is. And he's come a really long way that way. Uh, It's incredible to see and I, I place it all on him and just the experiences he's had in life and being a prioritize where his golf game is now. And I think that's a real key is when you over-prioritize the game in front of things that need, absolutely need to be in front of it, you can get in this manic mode of practice of playing and your mind's just not there. His mind's always right. there. It's a matter of reminding him what his mind should be on. Uh, like anybody else, you're going to drift off. From a physical standpoint of view, you know, we all age kind of deal, but he, mm-hmm. he's weathered the storm pretty darn well, and he's still capable right. of playing with very young competitors, which is also a bright spot. So there's there's some things there we don't really have to be overly concerned about so much as – 
maintaining his physical fitness so he can compete at the highest amateur levels. Right, and it's. It, I think it's a matter at, at this stage, Jason, really changing your priorities. You know, uh, back in the beginning, you you obviously had different goals, um, and your goals have obviously changed. Um, <clears throat> but I want to ask you one other thing, and then, then I want to move on um, to to another question. But I want to ask you this one first, and and really, it's for the benefit of the listeners because I know there's a lot of golfers out there that get fixated on distance, and you know, I've got to hit it. You know, I've got to belt it out there. Would you say that for you, uh, as much as we all want to, you know, uh, hit it a long way, that keeping it in play is a higher priority than being able to hit it 300 yards and not knowing where it's going to go? Oh, without a doubt. Um, I've always been on the, shall we say, shorter end of the stick when it comes to distance. I've always been the guy first in line hitting the second shot out in the fairway and I do say fairway uh and mm-hmm. everybody's searching for distance myself never ending search but at the end mm-hmm. of the day I would rather give up 10 yards to be playing from the fairway um because at the end of that hole then then you're putting for birdie or you've got an easy chip if you're pitching out from the woods, if you're constantly putting for pars, you know, that doesn't make for a very good round of golf or even a fun round of golf. I would rather hit two more clubs out of the fairway and, you know, maybe end up somewhere around even par at the end of the day. But it, it's just easier that way. Yeah, and, and, and a great point. You know, because – and the reason why I asked you that, Jason, because, you know, you've obviously played at a high level – and, you know, for a lot of our, our weekend warriors that may never get to that point, you know, uh, and again, we all, uh, especially as we age, you know, we, we're going to lose a little bit of distance. Our physical ability isn't going to be quite as, as, as much as it was, you know, when we were in our 20s, let's say. Um, so obviously, you know, we want to get that extra distance. But I think that, and, and it all, it shows um, to, you know, teachers and that, like John and I, you know, when we go out in the range and we see people spending a majority of their practice sessions, you know, on the tee, hitting their driver or, or what have you, and, and not really focusing on the short game very much. And then they wonder why they never are able to break par uh, or, or even sometimes even break 100. And uh, I think this is why our handicaps uh, are still so high, because people are focusing on the wrong end of the game. All right, I want to fax forward a little bit. Jason, I'm going to come back to you here. And then, John, I want to get your thoughts here as well. Um, we're going to fast forward it to uh, around the early 2000s uh, when you turned pro. Obviously, this was a goal of yours to to play, uh, or to, excuse me, to play at a professional level. Um, what in your mind do you recollect? What was it that it took? What mindset did it take? Uh, and what did you need to do to get to that level? Uh, to be honest, I really did not know. Uh, it was it was part an experiment. Uh, at the time, I was playing some pretty decent golf, and I was curious as to how far can I really take this uh, because I didn't want to get 20 years down the road being in my 40s and, and, and then having to look back and wonder what if. What if I'd have tried to play professionally? Could I have made it? Could I have not? You know, sit here today and... I don't have that question, and I'm pretty comfortable with with the answer. 
but but to say what it's going to take, it, it obviously takes a a large commitment, uh, not only on yourself, your time commitment, but if you have family involved, it, it's going to be a large commitment on the family um, because you may or may not be bringing home a paycheck every week. Uh, so it requires some support, whether it be from family or or from some outside sources supporting you during this this venture. Yeah, and and also to um, you know there's travel involved. So you know there might be times where you're on the road and and traveling from event to event. So again, when you've got other obligations outside of that, um, you know you have to have that that good support. John, I want to ask you uh, a similar question uh, along the lines of, of now professional player. Uh, obviously, uh, again, you worked with with Jason early on, and uh, you know, sort of helped guide him towards this this next stage of his career. Um, when you're dealing with a player such as Jason, or really any player that comes to you and says, you know, this is what my goal is. I want to get out there and I want to compete uh, on a professional level. What goes through your mind? What questions do you say to yourself or what thought process do you have to yourself? And what discussion do you have with the player um, based on what you, um, you know, after speaking with them, after assessing them and that, um, is it realistic? Is it not realistic? And how does it go from there? My job as a coach is to be as real with that person as possible from the get-go and I got a chuckle when Jason said he had no clue, in essence, what he was getting himself (laughs) into. And I I would tell you that the vast majority of good, very good amateurs who seek out a professional career fall into that same bucket. They don't know what it's going to take. The collegiate golfer right now, I think, has a big leg up on what it's going to take because it's become so competitive at almost every level of collegiate play. Uh, The the programs are better. The facilities are better. The coaching is better. The support systems are better. And they do a really good job of educating the player while traveling, while being in school, of time management, of commitment level to within the time management at everything that they're doing. And that's really the first thing that I look at. Uh, Most people who come to me who are very, very good amateurs or are desiring to play at a higher level competitively, amateur or professional, they all have talent. They all have some skill to a degree. Everybody's got a deficiency here or there, even at the highest levels. But do they have a realistic understanding of what that time management element is? And that was something that Jason and I did early on. Hey, you're jumping up a level here, and you're going to have to have more commitment to these other things. Uh, With skill and talent, do they have the physique? Do they have a fitness level to endure what they're going to have to endure? And early on, I would say most do not. Most do not have the endurance level to practice four to six hours a day, go to the gym, work out, plus get everything else done that they need to get done, and realize that the first day they do it is the first day closer to reaching their goal. Um, That's always a 
not a struggle on my end so much as uh, I wish I had a nickel for every time I've had to remind someone of those things. It's just something that doesn't necessarily fall into place with that new person very excited, all the right reasons for doing what they're going to do, but really do not have a clue as to what they're stepping into. They're stepping into their first job. And they are their own employee, employer. They're the employee and the employer, and they have to be responsible to themselves for that. I think what, what Jason was able to do because of how he was working at the time, he was actually having two full-time jobs. And my hat's off to him then and now. He would mm-hmm. put in his eight hours or whatever he needed to do. But he, as soon as he got off work, he was at the golf course working. And that's what it took, and that's why he had some success playing professionally. Uh, The breaks didn't go his way from a financial standpoint of view as far as allowing him to go further. But from a proving standpoint of view, there was a lot of people that saw how much he proved to himself how far he could go. And I, I think when I'm talking to somebody, I'm always using Jason as an example couple of others as an example as to the sacrifice that's what it boils down to is a sacrifice that you're not aware that you're going to need to make because it is priority number one uh it's like i said jason is not the only one in that bucket he won't be the last one in that bucket but if i were to tell anybody out there whether it's playing collegiately playing at a high level amateur uh, trying to play professional, you, you've got to understand what you're getting yourself into and that it is a full-time job. And you have to be responsible to yourself. You can't rely on other people to do it for you or sort of remind you that you have to do it. And that's probably the bigger struggle with the with the newbie is as a coach, I'm probably doing a lot more reminding than I actually am skill development, instruction, or coaching. It's more they probably don't have the support mechanism built into them at the time to go, hey, remember you've got an appointment with the nutritionist or the fitness person. Remember you've got a qualifier. Make sure you get there 90 minutes ahead of time, not nine minutes ahead of time. <clears throat> that was not something I never had to worry about with Jason, but there are some people that I coach that I do have to remind. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always you know a, a balancing act. Jason, I want to ask you, a, excuse me, a, a follow-up question. Um, you know, based on what you know now um, through that journey of becoming a professional golfer and knowing what you had to go through, if you had the ear, which you do, of maybe a parent or um, you know even a, a player who has those same aspirations, what advice would you give them um, to not necessarily pursue their, their dream? Because obviously they've got their own dreams, but what, I guess, guidance would you give them in helping them to make the decision and helping them to realize exactly what it's going to take to get to that level? I, I don't think you ever can prepare yourself for what it's going to take. Um, one of those things you just have to go and do. Uh, but but as far as pursuing a dream, I love to see anybody go pursue what they want to do, uh, no matter what it may be. 
uh, do it while you're young. The older you get, the more difficult it gets. You get out of school, you, you even think you want to try it, just go ahead and do it. Right. Uh, that's when it's going to be the easiest, uh, from mainly from a physical standpoint. When you get out of college, you're probably in the best shape of your life, probably as strong as you're going to be. You're, you're likely not married. You don't have a family. You don't have, we'll say, life beating you down. You know, getting through the daily grind. <laughs> right. So right. Do it while you're young, and enjoy it. If it works out, great. If well, it doesn't, well. Yeah, at least you've you've uh, made the effort. No, I, I I agree with that analogy because you know when when I look back to that age, you know, your outlook on things okay. is much different. Um, as you said, obviously life happens as it goes along and, and, um, you know, you have to, uh, sometimes bear down, uh, depending on the circumstances, but at that time you're kind of carefree and, and, uh, you're in a position really, you're young enough that you can take, uh, more risk. Uh, and, and again, you know, you might make it, you might not, but at least as you pointed out earlier, you don't want to look back with regret and say, I wish I had have taken that opportunity. Um, even if it didn't end up panning out to what I had hoped for, uh, at least I can say I gave it my best shot. And that is the time to do it when you're young and, and you've got that, that youthful energy and, and that ambition to, to get out there and do that. Um, at, again, at least you can look back and, and say that you, you've given it your best. Um, John, I want to come to you with, with the next question. And and it's really about the relationship. I know we touched a little bit about it on it earlier, um, but the relationship that that you have and have had as a coach um, now as opposed to 20 years ago. How has that dynamic changed? What's different about the relationship uh, today than what it was 20 years ago? I'd say the biggest difference is just how life has changed us both and some of the off topics that are discussed when we're together, uh, the relationship from a coach player standpoint of view, I don't believe has changed much at all. Uh, it's still very synergistic. It's still very open, um, in both directions. No one takes offense at anything, which is really key. Uh, I'm not offended if he comes up with something that maybe I'm not seeing because he's feeling it different than what I'm seeing and vice versa. I think the biggest difference is talking about expectations a little bit differently. Obviously, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, expectations were set a lot higher, and the way we went about planning uh, the coaching sessions and planning other things was much different than what it is now. Uh, The off topics are family. Uh, in particular, his son and his wife and the different things they do together, not only on the golf course, but off the golf course and how that relates to me and my family. Um, uh, Obviously, I work for myself now. I I work for somebody else when I first met him. So that dynamic has changed. And and I've got to take my hat off to Jason. When we talk, he's always asking about my business which shows a level of commitment to the relationship 
that not a lot of players will do. Uh, what I find is, is the players that always come back to me, I, I've always shown an interest in them. That's just part of me and part of my fiber. The ones that continue with me are always asking me more important. And they'll literally say, hey, John, more important, how's your son or how's your business going? And I'd, I'd say the, the maturation process, the years in between first meeting and now provides the respect uh, an ongoing, evolving respect, which creates that great, healthy relationship. Uh, uh, not to compare an apple to orange, but a Jack Grat to a Jack Nicholas. That relationship mm-hmm. survived 40 plus years for the same reasons. And if you had asked right. Jack Nicholas how that relationship was at the beginning, obviously, as a young man, uh, very formative years, eight, nine, ten years old. It was much different. But that's, I would say, if you look at any long-term coaching relationship in any sport, that evolution takes place. And I definitely see it and feel it with Jason. Very good. Um, Jason, let me ask you um, from a coaching perspective, and, and obviously I'm talking about John here, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you had ex- different expectations from John. You're developing the skills at that point. You know, you're learning to, um, you know, to sort of put your game together. Um, but now fast forward those 20 years, you understand how the game is played. You've had experience uh, and and some valuable both on and off the course experiences have helped you uh, to mature uh, as a player. So, Compared to what you were looking for then from a coach, what are your expectations now as uh, from your coach? Really, I don't believe the expectations have changed that much. Um, I look at John for support, also a, a resource, uh, one of my two most important resources. But in, in today's light, my desire to be a better golfer is probably equal to what it was 20 years ago. My my competitive flame really hasn't gone out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can look at it now in, in a different perspective and 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 realize what it what I can really do with it and what I can't do with it, and that came from the experience of the last 20 years. So. Uh, What's more important right now? It's it's the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily trying to go play golf. Golf is great, but at the end of the day, it's it's just golf, man. Right. Uh, so so John right. is one of my biggest supports. Uh, I look at him as a resource. If there's something I can't figure out, which I'm going to try to figure out on my own, but a lot of times I can't do it. And if I want to get better, if I want to improve. I need another set of eyes and ears. What's going on? What's changed in your game now? Um, Obviously, you know, you've mentioned, uh, you know, distance is going to be one of them as as we age, you know, we lose a little bit of distance, but what are some primary goals that you're going to set now that John can help you with um, that might be different or are they different than what they were 15, 20 years ago? 
a good question, and here's an interesting point. Uh, because of today's technology being so much better than it was 20 years ago, not only in the golf club but in the golf ball, I believe I actually hit the ball further today than I did 20 years ago, which – or maybe I'll just say that's a test of my uh, great physical condition. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I guess we can all say that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously technology, as as John knows as well, has changed and 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 helped us all uh you know get more distance and of course even be be more accurate accurate with with game improvement uh you know clubs but you know are there certain things that you really uh, again you you've gotten to a level you know what needs to get done is it more than would it be i guess safe to say it's more of a support mechanism now as opposed to a teaching tool Hmm. Well, it's definitely some of both. Uh, my time with John, we can point out where my deficiencies are, and we look at the the area where you're going to consider your, your scoring zone. We'll, we'll call it certainly 100 yards and in. Maybe we'll take it something closer to 60 yards and in. I have uh, begun spending a lot of time working on all my shots from – 100 yards and in, getting those down, and then we start moving it out a little bit further. So the closer you are to the green, the more that expectation becomes that you should be able to get the ball up and down, we'll say, whether it be for birdie. Hopefully, sometimes it's for par, but, you know, you're in that scoring zone. We need to produce something here. So that's one of the things that I've been looking at recently. And that comes yeah, from, and, and, from John picking out what's wrong. Right. Well, and, and that's it. And, and John, you know, just to, to sort of give you the same um, question, you know, you obviously as a coach um, and has, have worked with, with Jason over the years, you have a, a, obviously a very good understanding of not only of his physical abilities, um, but also his mindset as well. So from your standpoint, what are you looking uh, and what are you expecting from him at this point? I'm not expecting anything out of Jason that he's not capable of doing is the way I'd say it. Um, And I I try to have that perspective on each and every client of mine. Uh, A real quick difference that I was thinking of as Jason was talking about the golf ball is the way we communicate now is much different, which leads into this expectation. When we first met, we were literally five miles apart most of the time. And then as I progressed through my career, at the most, I was probably 120 miles away. Now we're over six, almost 700 miles away. So our time spent together is much, much different. And we communicate a lot digitally with video, uh, with text, with phone, that kind of thing. When he needs my support, the phone rings. Uh, as soon as I can get to it, if not right then and there, I'm picking up the phone a lot of times on the way home from the golf course after a long day out there. Uh, from an expectational level, Jason's capable 
of winning another amateur championship. And we spoke about a lot of things the last time he was here and since then as far as the importance of his third shot on any hole, which is why both of us really looked at what is he doing 60 yards and in. When you think about it, your third shot on a three, four, or five is a very pivotal shot at the highest of competitive levels. And with that, I know back in the day, I thought I had a great short game. He would amaze me with some of the shots he would come up with. But then at the same time, he was sort of limited from a creativity standpoint of view. Fast forward 20 years later, talking about the third shot and and the statistical probabilities of the third shot, immediately you could see the light bulb go off in his head because of the 20 years of experience that's shown him, yeah, maybe I can be more creative. I've played with a lot of people who do this and that. And that's a skill I'd li- I desire to have. Let's work on that, which is really key. It's, it's, it's almost like, like he's 19 to 22 years old again. And you see that in all the great players, that, that they are inquisitive, they are curious, and they're always looking to create a bigger expectation level for themselves. I'm not expecting him to go out and win the USM or the win, U.S. Senior Ham in a few years unless – that's a priority for him talent wise he and I have spoken about it does he have the talent absolutely but because of his son because of his wife because of his career because of the other things they like to do as he said it it's just golf where does it stand in what I call life priorities and I try to base my expectations of him based on his life priorities if golf's not number one or number two it's five or six Let's make expectational goals that meet that five or six priority. What's neat about Jason is the family is competitive at everything they do. It's it's wonderful to watch him on uh, Facebook and other things and to share text with his wife is always texting me about things. Uh, it's really neat to see how competitive they are. So it's real easy to feed him something because he has the environment to allow it to germinate. He has the environment to allow that competitiveness to grow while still sticking a new challenge out there. And the new challenges is what creates the new expectation level. And it's a mutual thing. If he says, you know, I don't have the time to do this, then I back off it. Uh, But if it's something he wants to do, I think we both jump in the pool, the deep end, and try to swim our way out of it which makes it best for him because being able to swim your way out of situations on the course is critical. And he's always been good at it. I think uh, to share confidence that Jason and I had in a phone call recently, getting back to speed to be able to do that when he'd been out of the game so long, that's a little tougher to acquire. Uh, It's not you've forgotten about it. It's just there's nothing that beats actual competitiveness. And the more he throws himself into the fire, I think the higher expectation he'll have of himself, which means I'll have a higher expectation of him. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I I think that we've seen time and time again, um, you know, Tiger Tiger Woods comes to mind. You know, he played at – you know, the highest level of the game that you can play uh, and, and had a, a tremendous uh, stretch in his career. 
And then obviously around 2010 and, and a little beyond, he's struggled to get back. But now we're starting to see as he plays more and more uh, back in that competitive ring. Uh, obviously, you know, he's had some some uh, physical issues along the way, but, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, starting even this weekend or, you know, going into this weekend, we're seeing him, uh, you know, sort of bounce back into to that high level again. So obviously that is going to be a factor for you as well, Jason, as you, uh, you know, uh, play more again uh, and get back in that, that sort of competition, uh, your your skill set is, is going to be, um, you know, continually tested, but obviously, um, based on your experiences, uh, a lot of those things are going to come back uh, to memory. Let me ask you, Jason, this question, you know, for, for benefit of our, our amateurs out there. You know, we, we mentioned earlier about time. Um, you know, back 20 years ago, time was much different. Uh, the level of outside commitment wasn't maybe quite as strong. Uh, so you had a lot more time to, to be able to dedicate to golf. And a lot of our amateur golfers in, in today's economy, in today's environment, you know, they don't spend the time or they don't have the time. What do you do or what would you suggest to be able to allow them to get the most out of their game given the time restrictions that we have now? I mean, people are sometimes working two jobs or, or what have you, and they may not necessarily want to play at your level, uh, but just to be able to, to get benefits uh, through their practice sessions now, because this is a, a big issue in the golf industry right now is people just don't have time to, to go and uh, take lessons as much or uh, go out and play as much. Um, so if you were putting yourself in their shoes and you still wanted to be uh, you know, competitive even with your, your weekend foursome, what would you suggest to them that they can do to help keep themselves uh, somewhat competitive in, in this sort of time-restricted uh, environment? Well, the the one thing that I would recommend concentrating on is the short game, uh, which you, you don't really need a golf course to do that. You can putt around the house. Uh, I do that myself. Uh, or, or if you have a backyard, you can go out in the backyard and and hit some chip shots in, into a bucket or have you at your chipping tree uh, as, as your target. But the little things, um, so much of the game is spent on the short shots. The better you are at those, the better your score is going to be at the end of the day. So you don't really need to go to a, a practice facility or a golf course. You don't need a chipping green or a putting green. These are things you can work on at home, and you're probably going to get some very productive results out of them. Well said. Yeah, you know, this is, John, this is an area that, you know, we've talked about quite a bit on, on Coach's Corner is, is the time factor. You know, a lot of people use time as an excuse, and, and it's certainly a valid one. Um, I, I just don't have time to go and practice. Uh, I don't have time to, you know, play 18 anymore. Um, and, and this is something, you know, as instructors that we struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis in, in this environment. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, many of us still have a full lesson uh, plan uh, every, every day, um, but we're noticing a change in the industry as, as people are engaging in other activities or have other outside interests. Um, you know, golf sort of slides down on the priority. So given that, from a coach's perspective, what do you uh, 
you know, when you're teaching your students that maybe don't have as much time to come for as many lessons or spend as much time with you on the golf course, what other options do you provide for them uh, to help them utilize that time and still get benefit? I call it homework uh, for obvious reasons, and Jason sort of alluded to it. The Again, as, as I'm interviewing someone the first time out, I'm trying to understand what their time ability is. They always talk about it as time constraint. I'll flip the coin on them. I'm like, well, what, what time, kind of time do you have? So they can understand this perspective that I'm going to come from, and based on how much time they have will be how much I feed them and how I feed it to them. It's, uh, I've got a client who's got a simulator in his, in his uh, little side house on his property. He's in there every night after he puts his son to bed. So I know he's got a lot of time on his hands, and, and he devotes more time to it. So I'm feeding him not necessarily faster. I'm actually feeding him slower, very much like a Jason, because he's got some skill it's a matter of him understanding some things that, that he's right now lost about as far as feeling what transitional things are happening in, happening in his golf swing, feeling his weight distribution and, and ground leverage kind of thing. Whereas somebody, um, I have another client never practices. Their practice is considered to be on the golf course. So it's, I'm not looking to provide them something that's going to require them to practice. Uh, they, they need something more instantaneous. I'm trying to provide them something more instantaneous, but at the same time deeply rooted in what the cause of their problems are so they can understand that, hey, why did that shot happen? Well, here's how you can put a small little Band-Aid on it. The Band-Aid is based on the cause, the long-term solution, and the cause is X. Uh, and that, that's really the difference between someone with no time and someone with a lot of time. With a lot of time, you can utilize that time differently. With very little time, someone wanting instant gratification, uh, the first thing is letting them know golf doesn't provide it. However, in your situation, here are some things that you should be doing. So that person, I'm probably spending a little bit more time on the golf course, let's believe it or not and less time on the range, where someone like Jason, we split it 50-50. There's never a, a time now that we don't go out to the golf course each time we're together to keep tabs on what's going on out there as well as to start employment of what skill development we're working on. And when, when, you, look, when you look at the overall picture of what your time is as a golfer, you've got to You've got to be honest with yourself first. You've got to be honest with the person you've chosen to coach you second. Because without that honesty, without telling him exactly what kind of time allotment you have that you're willing to put into it, you're going to come away with a poor experience. And if you've got a good coach, they're going to quiz you and quiz you, and you may hate the quizzing. But there's a reason for it. They're trying to figure out right. what kind of time do you have. Yeah, well said, John. Um, Jason, you know, goals are, are an important thing in any part of your life, regardless of whether it's business or, uh, or home life. You know, you want to set goals, and then you want to put a plan in place to reach them. What are your goals now? 
Oh, wow. Um, very good question. Um, and I think back to an interesting conversation me and John had uh, about when I turned professional. Um, because when I was younger and still a, a young amateur, I had set goals each season for particular tournaments that I wanted to play in and perhaps play well. I wanted to gear my game towards these tournaments or these weeks. And I didn't so much have that when I turned professional. It was just, well, let's go play, play as good as I can. And maybe that was detrimental to my performance. Uh, and, I, and I bring that to nowadays. And I need to get back to more goal orientation. Look at some tournaments that I want to play in, see what times of year they may or may not be in, and try and – well, we'll try to peak during those weeks. Um, not necessarily try to play week in and week out because that's just, well, really not possible to do. Right. So spread them out. Um, practice your game and, and try to be in really good shape that one week this month. Or, okay, in six weeks I've got something come on, coming up. What do I what do I need to work on? Let's start working on things to get ready for something six weeks from now. So goal orientation is is important for me. Instead of just going out and playing, I, I need I need to have some sort of a, a structure. Really, have something to play for is what I need. Right, Ted, right, that's and, something, and, and that's John, something we're discussing right now. We're actually in the midst of discussing that right now for 2020. Uh, Jason hasn't necessarily put uh, a target in place for any particular tournaments. He's trying to figure out family plans, work plans. Um, where he's a member, the club where he's a member has a tremendous population of fantastic amateurs, and that's always something that's on his calendar is to win his club championship because a lot of his club champions go on to play some really good events and do really well in, if not win them, within the amateur tournaments in the Carolinas area. So that, that's actually something we're working on now. Jason's just trying to figure out his time so he can be goal-oriented, but to, to his point, that was something that with the first call this year, he literally had done that research. He had done that work and he pinpointed three particular weeks that he really wanted to peak. And, and we structure our time together. We structure the phone calls together. So that could be in place. And I would say for the most part, he accomplished his goal of peaking at the right time. Uh, what we learned from it is being able to set the goals properly so the peak can take another level next year. And with that, I, I'm, I'm hoping he's shooting for, and we've discussed shooting for maybe a little bit bigger tournament to play well in uh, and still remain in the two or three that he was in this year that he did well in. And that would be the, the foundational basis to play well in the others. What else, John, does Jason, are you going to work with him on? You know, he touched on a little bit about, uh, you know, keeping in 
um, the right physical shape. Obviously, you know, you're going to work on, on the course uh, with his golf game, but is that something else too that, you know, obviously you're not going to necessarily, uh, you know, be right there and working out with him, but is that something that you want to keep him focused on as well as keeping himself in, in good shape and, and, uh, and obviously nutritionally as well and encourage him to, um, because that, that's going to affect obviously um, how he plays and how he performs. He already does a great job of that. Uh, he, he doesn't, is he doing it at world-class status? No, but I would say he's doing it better than 95% of the population, which allows him <laughs> to do what he does. Uh, the, the, I think the real keys now, considering we're almost in November, it's off-season for him in theory, is providing him enough goal orientation through the off season to say, look at in Mar- come March first or April first, whatever date we decide. Here, here are some things that I need to have happening from a skill development mm-hmm. standpoint of view, from a skill maintenance standpoint of view, from a competitive standpoint of view. It's harder to compete in the colder weather that he experiences where he is where he lives, but it won't necessarily negate the ability for him to make what I would call a mini goal. Uh, His club comes up with some crazy winter competition. Why not try to gear up? Why not try to sprint within that gear up to to really play well in this and to look at the variables that are going to make him that much better for that particular tournament? What, people fail to understand is each tournament you play builds for the next one. And I would say his lack of recent experience in competition is probably the the thing he and I speak the most about because from a physical standpoint of view, from a skill development and maintenance standpoint of view, he puts the work in. He's, He's a student of the game. So as we talk about those things and talk about what his ball flight's doing, he, he's right on page with me. Like he said, he may need another set of eyes or another opinion, another way to attack the issue that he's trying to solve. But from a competitive standpoint of view, it's really trying to peak at a certain time, give him that detox time, give him that time, week, 10 days, two weeks, whatever it is, just totally detox, absorb what he did, uh, not only absorb it, regurgitate it in a, hey, here's what we do next kind of thing. He's really, really good at it. Um, he was, he's always been good at it. Most people are not. Uh, most people are so caught up in, in the moment that they forget about they need that 24 hours minimal detox. The world's best players do that. They rarely play on a Monday other than a social round in a pro-am unless it's a major. If it's a major, they're there on site. So going forward, it's, it's literally just, hey, what are these tournaments we're, we're focusing on? When will he be in Florida or when will I be in North Carolina to help him with that? And how do we plan out the year so he is peaking going into these targeted tournaments? Well said. What a great way to wrap up the session. Guys, I want to thank both of you for, for coming on tonight. And, Jason, I want to wish you much continued success uh, on your journey. And uh, it sounds like you're in, in good, capable hands with John. And, John, as always, I want to thank you for, um, you know, 
giving some great information to our listeners out there and for uh, introducing me to to Jason here. And, and uh, Jason, I, I hope you'll come back on again uh, with John and, and we'll, we'll uh, look at some of the progress that you've made uh, for 2020. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate you allowing me on this evening. I've had a great time. And, and John, thank you for asking me. This has uh, been very enjoyable. Well, we appreciate it. And John, any uh, any final thoughts or, or closing comments? And then also, I want you to uh, let the folks know if they want to reach out. Uh, best way to contact you. Sure, uh, Jason. Uh, I've got to thank you for twenty year friendship. And if if it wasn't for that, uh, you know, I, if it wasn't for you and a, and, and a handful of others, I wouldn't be where I am. And I appreciate it. And Ted, I think we ought to look at this as a yearly thing, maybe to, to see how. Mm-hmm. see how that progresses and how evolution goes. And the, the comment, the final comment I'd make is if someone's listening to this podcast, I think the real bottom line is to understand that coach pupil relationship and to understand what the responsibilities are on both sides. So it's a give take kind of thing. It's not always a one way street from either direction and it can progress. It can, it can withstand it can evolve, uh, and it can certainly be healthy for both sides, which it has. And, and I wish that for all golfers and their coaches. Uh, again, thanks, Ted. Always a pleasure. Look forward to being on Coach's Corner sometime in the middle of November. In the meantime, if people are looking to find me, it's super, super easy. Everything I've got says John Hughes Golf, whether it's my website.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any social media. Um, I'm always available. As Jason knows, you contact me by 5 o'clock p.m. (laughs) Eastern time. You guarantee the result the same day. And uh, I'm working on some things where I'm loading a lot more video here recently. Ted, you and I had a conversation about that. I'm looking forward to launching something January 1 that I think a lot of people around the world can take advantage of and have a lot of fun with. Well, I appreciate it, John. As always, it's a pleasure having you on the show. And again, I look forward to you coming back on Coach's Corner. And uh, Jason, the invitation's out there for you and John to come back uh, and give us a progress report uh, in 2020. Let us know how things are going and, and how things are progressing. And and uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, more about you reaching uh, uh, some of your new goals uh, as you journey on uh, from this point on. And uh, keep up the great work and uh, and congratulations on and all of your success thus far. And I know there's some more great things happening in your future as well. And, and I appreciate it very much uh, giving time tonight uh, for my audience. And thank you as always, John. Thank you, Ted. Enjoy your evening. Yes, all right. Thank Good you, night, Ted. Guys. You're welcome. Good night. All right, that was uh, John Hughes, uh, PJ Master Professional, and one of his students, uh, amateur golfer Jason Gabriel. Uh, just talking a little bit about the re- uh, coach-player relationship and a little bit about uh, Jason's journey uh, from amateur status to professional and now back to uh, full circle to amateur status again. Uh, obviously, his, his goals and his uh, you know point moving forward has changed a little bit from, from what it was 20 years ago. Uh, but still has some competitive juices and wants to get out there. So hopefully you, you took away some some valuable information here and, 
and and really from a player's perspective a little bit about some of the things that that he's thinking about and what he's thought about and and some of his priorities in, in life now um, but either way I think it's uh, it's always good to get a perspective from somebody that's played at, at some of the highest levels out there and uh, and gives the rest of us sort of an opportunity to say hey you know what I want to do something like that too I appreciate everybody joining in tonight and again uh, a little bit shorter program I want to thank uh, both uh, John Hughes and Jason Gabriel for being my special guest today uh, as I mentioned earlier I uh, won't be back uh, next week uh, October 31st which is Halloween I'll be out of the area and uh, not going to be doing a show but I will be back on November 7th with of course uh, another great round of Coach's Corner and uh, also uh, very interesting guests uh, to share some thoughts and, and views uh, on the game as well um, one last thing I just want to mention before we close out the program I'm going to play a short clip here from golfswing.com and give you a, a reminder on how you can uh, get in touch with their uh, uh, online video program and then we'll close out the program are you finally ready to improve your golf game golfswing.com is changing the way golfers learn online with the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet golfswing.com can help you improve every part of your game whether you want to gain more distance hit it closer or just think more putts golfswing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better scoring lower having more fun and saving money get your fix on demand at golfswing.com all right and remember to visit golfswing.com and uh, enter the promo code golftalklive at checkout to receive 50% off the subscription price uh, again it's a great online video training platform uh, with some great uh, instructors uh, and lots and lots of videos so check them out go to golfswing.com uh, join their uh, website their subscription website it's 50% uh, off if you enter the promo code golf talk live thank you everybody uh, for joining me this evening I hope you enjoyed the program uh, again it won't be a show next week uh, and uh, I will be back on November 7th uh, have a great Halloween everybody uh, be careful out there for you kids. Uh, you never know what's lurking under the bushes. Anyways, have a great weekend, everybody, and I'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.